0: and we are back for another episode of unboxing the hobby brought to you by loop and we are here with the one the only John basketball card guy. John, what's up man? How's it going? Good, good. I'm great to have you. I the um you know we are I do have to address it. We are one man down today. Stock is not here. So this is sure to be a phenomenal episode since we we cut the dead weight. That's uh <laughs> Just, just let him yeah. let that sink in for a minute. That was um, a pre-discussion. That was a pre-pre-discussion. No. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh shoot. I hit record. Um. No, Stock, <laughs> we miss you. I'm sorry. Hope everything's okay. You, um, I thought you.
1: Were, I thought you said for the new year wasn't
0: even on the show anymore. Yeah. No. We we've totally cut him. He's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, yeah, Welcome. Welcome to the show. You're you're now the co-host. Um. Now I was I was super excited about this because you and I met. I think it was at Chantilly. You were walking around, and I was kind of hanging out with one of my friends, uh, Army ATC yep. at, at 22, Alex, and. Uh, just, I have been following you for a while because I'm also into 90s NBA cards, which like, I feel like we're kind of like a club when you meet someone who also is like yeah. that. You're like, oh, will you to gravitate towards them? So, club nostalgia, yes. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, you know, we're just kind of those weird people at card shows at this point, I guess. But um, yeah, how was Chantilly by the way? Was it a good trip for you? It was great. I was down there for a wedding. And so
1: it was the greatest thing ever. The wedding was like, I think, 10 minutes away from the... <laughs> from where the show was
0: you accidentally and, showed up to this massive card show in chantilly
1: you know like I, it was the the, the funniest part with the discussion with my wife where you know like normally every weekend it kind of leads into like uh oh you know so what are we doing saturday morning and it's like and then she knows that the next part of the question after i hear like well not much we don't have anything planned is like cool there's this, this small little card show i'm gonna go to nearby and they're usually like 20 or 30 table shows chantilly was a little bit bigger than that <laughs> so Thank you. but again it was very much the same pattern like well, are we doing anything in the morning or is just the wedding starts at four so i'm good like in the morning right like, did, you did you pull go one of those
0: show. i just need to run an errand i'll be back in a little bit kind of moves
1: <laughs> run out real quick yeah real quick just some milk, it. you know yeah exactly exactly you no know,
0: i i thought it was a that was my first chantilly i thought it was fantastic i thought it was for the size of the show the quality you know the guests that were there that was fantastic they did
1: awesome with the autograph guests and stuff. And I guess that they've, they've partnered out like, so that isn't, they didn't actually bring them all in anymore. They have like an outside company that's doing that now too. They partnered up with, which is just awesome. I love seeing that. Like, that's the thing that I think when I was a kid, I liked the most about shows was getting to go and, and see, you know, one of these great sports stars in the past, obviously, um, if you dealt with this with basketball too, like a lot of basketball players don't come out to those shows historically. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a rarity. I remember in 1996, Dennis Rodman came out. and It was the first time he had done like a signing. Now he's doing them all the time. He, but he's all the time. He, he was I there like actually yeah, get him out now. at that, yeah, that particular show. Um, but, um, but back then it was like, you never saw basketball players. Um, it was all the baseball guys. I, I also grew up, you know, in New York. So all, it was all always the Yankees or the Mets, a lot of the Mets more so than the Yankees even that came out to do shows. So seeing guests like that, it's such a draw. It's so cool to be able to meet someone and hopefully they're in a good mood uh, and hopefully they they care about meeting the fans that day. You know, it's not just a check to them, but I would think like if I were ever in a position to sign autographs for for, you know, a show like that and people wanted to meet me that way, um, I would hope that I was as, as excited about seeing them and their reactions and all that kind of stuff as I was about the money, because mm-hmm. You see these people come out, they, they're they in the outfits, you know, they've got crazy memorabilia you've never seen before in, in your life because it's been on their shelf and
0: they've kept, yeah. they're, they're not on Instagram. <laughs> they're, they're just I, closet fans. I think fans. it is a, I, I feel like I need to spend more time at that part of shows and just watch the people come in and just kind of, to your point, see the memorabilia they bring in the stories. I bet it's a pretty remarkable place.
1: And there's people that do projects
0: that culminate at these shows. So like I'm invited backstage
1: at a lot of these things. I Mm -hmm. went back at the national last year, two, two years ago. Um, I was doing autograph counting for Mitch Richmond. So I just got to follow him around for an hour and a half and count. I think it was 1200 autographs he signed while he was there. And so every time he signs an autograph, you're like on an Excel sheet, you're like manually checking them all. And then that's how they get paid in the end. They look at, then they figure out what what they're owed. Um, But there was a shoe this gigantic like shoe not not like my shack shoe that's size 22 behind me but like i'm talking like mega mega shoe and it was signed by every nba person i didn't see jordan but like every other nba name i could think of uh was already on this thing um a friend of mine uh who uh um see i don't i won't know his exact instagram we can throw it up later but he has a, a thing called the NBA traveling logo right now. You might know him too. He's, he's, he's got an amazing home collection and stuff, but he's got this giant, maybe three or, foot, uh, three or four foot tall NBA logo that's made out of like solid stuff, three-dimensional that he's been shipping around the country to different signings and getting signed by the top players in the NBA. Oh my God. That's it's- the cool stuff. You see these items when they're like the first time they go out, it's just an item, right? By the time you got like a thirtieth or thirty-first autograph on that thing, like he's like halfway through the NBA seventy-five, you look at it and you go, "This is some serious piece of memorabilia." Where <laughs> like, does he store this thing? That's my
0: next question.
1: He's, he's gonna put that in his. He has a man cave that is just totally insane. And I will. I'll get. I'll get you the link afterwards so we can we can put it in the podcast notes. But yeah. Um, it's just incredible like what he's got going on. And he was one of the only other people that I knew that collected the 1996 uh, autographic set, oh, Skybox yeah. autographics and basketball. So he did the, I did the whole set took me 15 years. I'm not sure how long it took him, but he yeah. did it as well. Um, and he had them all on display. Big fan of displaying the
0: cards, big fan of displaying jerseys and all that kind of stuff too. God, it's incredible. Well, I guess before we get too far ahead, I do yeah. want to kind of hit pause and take a step back real quick. Cause I think, For people like me who are into like 90s MBA, obviously, I've been following your account for a long time. But for those that don't know you, I'd like to kind of start kind of from the beginning a little bit and hear you've been in the hobby for a long time. You've been, yeah, I think a lot of people kind of get away and come back, but you never really left. So (laughs) how did you get into cards? Let's kind of start there and then let's go through that journey. Sure. Um, I got into cards like a lot of people do. My dad had collected when
1: he was a kid. Uh, We were going through the attic one day, and we literally found a shoebox full of baseball cards, 1959 to 1963 baseball, a couple of mantles in there, uh, Willie Mays, Sandy Koufax, tons of like just legends in baseball, and some really beautiful cards. Um, He gave them to me because he's like, this is what I had when I was a kid, you're a kid, why don't you play with them, enjoy them, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I started researching. I, I went out and my mom suggested maybe she get a price guide and see if those are worth anything. Um, you know, and a couple of the mantles were like six hundred dollars a piece. So that was a lot. I think mm-hmm. I was like eight or nine at the time. So it was a lot of money um that you know to have into into something that you just give your kid, you know. So it was like, oh uh, um, so I in so kind of going out and researching what they were worth and and putting some value on that and Getting cases was a big deal. Going out, getting top loaders, getting some screw downs. Yes, I know it's yep. horrible. It was nice, misguided '90s, um, early '90s. Uh, but I went out and I got cases for all the cards to keep them nice. I was a kid growing up. Like my parents were, um, they bought me a lot of stuff, but they would never buy me the same thing twice. They said either you take good care of your stuff, or mm-hmm. you don't have it anymore. So. My bike was the only one that had the kickstand always out and set up when I was out playing with, with my friends. Everybody Everyone else just, just throw them to the good. ground. Yep. You know, it, you're like, so that's the kind of kid I was like, I always kept my stuff really super nice. And so cards were the same way, even though some of his cards had been, you know, on bike spokes and <laughs> look really beat up. I wanted to make sure that they wouldn't get any more degraded from there. So, mm-hmm. you know, putting them inside of cases and, and sleeves and, and the and screw downs at the time, uh, keeping those nice. What but so doing- For mm-hmm.
0: using sleeves, I don't think I learned about sleeves until like the, at least the mid nineties. So there was a good couple of years as a kid. I think I was just top loading them. I, so
1: that I was lucky because we had a couple of stores, one in particular that was nearby at the time that the guy knew like how to take good care of things. And so I went in, my mom was always a, a big fan of like, you know, go ask an expert if you really want to know something, you know? And so like we yeah. found a store and then we went in and, and, uh. I got the info
0: on that and sleeves were on the list. You know. Intel. And, to- um, and screw down tops. That was all. Screw downs were also you know, on the list, unfortunately. Tip, and singles.
1: <laughs> yeah. Experts at the time were misguided back then. They didn't know. I mean, same thing about refractors. We didn't know they were going to go green if they were in the light. Who knows? You know, like you never know these things until it happens. Um, but in so kind of learning about the cards and how to take care of them, I also found out that there were basketball cards mm-hmm. And basketball is my favorite sport. You know, baseball is cool. I played baseball as a kid. I was on a travel team and like did all that. I wasn't tall enough to play basketball, but I liked watching basketball a lot more than baseball. Um, You know, my favorite player at the time, like many people's favorite players, Michael Jordan and loved the the Bulls and, and, um, you know, and found like I could start collecting Michael Jordan cards. And so I did as a kid. Um, My first retail job ever. Uh was in a card store in Mount Kisco, New York, in Westchester County, New York. Uh, they had opened up in a mall. The mall doesn't exist anymore, nor does the store. But um, they they uh, opened up in a mall. I was walking through one day, saw that they were doing kind of their grand opening. I met the owner. Um, he's like, look, I'm looking for help. A couple days later, I got hired. Um, and then a few Did weeks I read later... that you were
0: like 14 when this happened? Yeah,
1: I have, here, I have the photo down here, actually, for, for folks that are on video. That's me and the... Uh, Mount Kisco cards and collectibles there you back go. when, um, but uh, it was nuts, man. It was like, it was a dream job. My mom um, at the time was like really pushy about that. I get a job for like the summers and stuff. Yeah. Um, but um, this particular job, I didn't take home any money. I mean, like I was paid and then I quickly took that money and bought <laughs> cards with it. So I didn't, I didn't net anything at the end of that um i remember actually my boss at the time had a fake jordan rookie card that he had in the case literally stamped forgery on the back um and i bought it for forty dollars because i just wanted a jordan rookie card so bad um full well knowing it was a fake obviously with a stamp on the back and everything um you know looking back on that it was weird that he would do that but (laughs) you know like a lot of these things you look back you go why did that whole thing happen um But like, it was one of those, it was an iconic card even back then, you know, before the value Mm -hmm. jumped on it. Um, But yeah, so I got into cards back then, I started collecting, I went off to college, I graduated from college in the early 2000s. Um, 2003, I got out of college and I was a broke, you know, college graduate. And so that's when I didn't buy any cards. 2003, four, LeBron's rookie year, Wade's rookie year, Bosh's rookie year. Yeah, Carmelo's. You, it was you a didn't bad miss anything. Year.
0: Nothing happened, right? Nothing yeah, happened. it was a bad year to miss.
1: <laughs> so it's such a, like, go back in time. Just, just keep pushing through, John. Push through. Uh, I, I'd say 2005, I was back to purchasing again. Um, I didn't buy a lot of LeBron stuff then. I, I don't know. I think I just felt like I missed the boat. I don't know. Are you a
0: LeBron fan?
1: I'm not like a huge LeBron fan. I appreciate him for like what he's done in the game, his longevity, the statistics. I mean, he will go down statistically as probably he could be the best basketball player ever statistically um, by the end of his career. Um, But he never had the same appeal and energy. For me as jordan did on the court i I feel the same way i think we're on the same boat on that one totally and even today like i tell people today and some of them think i'm nuts but i tell people you know the michael jordan of tomorrow isn't lebron james it's steph curry and like because it and i don't mean in a sense of like you know um accolades or that he's gonna have all these championships or that he's gonna Mm -hmm. score all these points No, no i mean like what is a kid from this generation, what card is a kid from this generation going to want ten or twenty years from now? And it's going to be a card of somebody they liked watch playing. It could very well be John Morant for that yeah. matter too. I mean, it's anyone that's exciting. Like you think, I like. I think back to Jordan. I don't think about his stats. I think about that he was exciting and he won some championships. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and he was the guy. He was the face of it. And I, and I see that more as Steph Curry these days. Is that friendly face that you know. Um, that I think, you know, folks years from now, 10 years from now, you know, the kids, my kids age will be going out probably buying him.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, I, I was just curious. Yeah. Yeah. So, so did you actually, were you actually still collecting in college though?
1: I was. So it was funny. I was building websites for card stores while I was in college. Um, Cause that was really the cusp. I, I went, I started school in 1999. And so um, that was when the web was starting to heat up. I had learned HTML coding back in 96, 97. Um, and so I was doing some websites for, for clients and things at that point, I went off to college in college. I met um, a guy who had done like the backend for like price, coopers and like um, my God, the JP Morgan chase. I had done some big Amazing. banking website like backends. And so he taught me PHP and he was teaching me how to, to do some coding languages. So I, um, by the time like the mid-2000s hit, I had actually coded my own database system to keep track of all my cards. Um, and I started barcoding every card I had, put a barcode sticker on it, and then I'd scan those stickers, um, those cards basically, into my system so I could track when I bought it, what I bought it for, where I was. Um, and then over time, I could track how that how that ended up. because. Great even idea. if you're, I have a photographic memory and even if you have a photographic memory, yeah. you don't remember every price you paid and every minute detail of everything once you have, you know, over a 100,000 cards like it doesn't, it doesn't sit any like it's just too hard to keep track of. Um, and it's kind of useless brain power at that point. Like, why would you want to concentrate yeah, on remember? all of that? Yeah, you know, when you could just have it tracked. So um, yeah, so for the better part of almost 20 years now, I've had an online system that I've tracked my own cards on, and um and it's been great to kind of follow that collection. Um, but yeah, college out of school, uh started working, was still collecting cards. Um, and then I launched my Instagram account in 2014, I think. Um, and it was originally called MBA Trader. That was my original name. Um, cause it was trading NBA cards. And then I decided like, Hey, this is getting some traction. Maybe I don't want something with NBA in the name in case they ever, you know, get litigious, oh, yeah, 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 you know? So um thinking way far ahead. I was like, well, what can my name be? And I was setting up at shows. And uh, and at shows, uh, you know, that's always been my kind of bread and butter because it's fun. You get to hang out with people. It's a great time. Like, yeah. um, you know, it, it's neat. And you get to see so much stuff. It's like a museum at the same time. I, just, I love car shows, um, but I would I would set up and at the show, um, I'd be the only guy there that only had basketball. Like there are other people that had basketball, but I was the
0: only guy that had just basketball. I think and, I'm kind of you. I, I've now, as you're talking, I'm like, oh god, that's that's exactly. It. No, I do have <laughs> soccer too, because I collect soccer in '90s NBA. Yeah. I'm a really strange uh, kind that's of, land, but
1: I literally yeah. didn't have a single card that wasn't a basketball card at my booth at like any time, and so people just started calling me the basketball card guy. Oh, that's the basketball card guy, and not in a nice way. Like they'd be like, "There's the idiot. He doesn't have baseball cards, moron." <laughs> He's yeah. the basketball you card. Leaned
0: in. You just leaned into it.
1: Well, and I did, you know, <laughs> so, that's, uh, so that's how I became known as a basketball card guy. And uh, I took the name on after that. And I just figured oh, everyone's calling me it anyway. Why not? You know, let's go with it. It's easy to remember. Um, so I switched my Instagram, you know, from NBA trader to basketball card guy at that point. Um, and then from there on out, you know, uh, just built a, a following very organically. Mm-hmm. I never did a single giveaway. I always tell people when they're like, how do I build a following? Like, Well, it takes time. Uh, it takes authenticity. It's just be you. People will gravitate towards you when they, yeah. if they feel like you're like, you know, that, that's fine, you know. Um, and I never did the giveaways because I felt like that that's a an artificial way to raise the number, but not really help you globally. Like if I give a bunch of stuff away on my thing and that's why everyone started to follow me, then they're just following to get free
0: stuff. Yeah. And they'll stop following so- you eventually
1: right yeah or or worse they keep following you and they don't interact and that with the algorithm and everything the way that's that's it's weighed these days that lack of interaction that lack of liking that lack of commenting that lack of sharing um actually hurts your post and in the first 30 minutes it's out yeah it, that determines it so if you got a bunch of kind of i call them non-followers you know like it's not you kind of dug yourself a hole just to show somebody a fake number um and so yeah so i just you know like it, posted on there I uh, I've always had video as part of my work you know I've I've been in video production for the better part of oh, almost three decades now but two decades mm-hmm. um and um and so I was trying to mix video in and and have that as a nice piece so I've been doing more and more of that kind of stuff on IG as well uh, I did a YouTube series back over three years ago now that I started but then just it got away from me like most people you know like I had a few good topics I went with and then I was like ah eh. I just, it takes a lot of time to plan and do it. Right.
0: Would you say short form content, like Instagram is kind of more your wheelhouse or which would form of content do you feel most Long
1: form would have been my wheelhouse, like up until recent, like that, that's what I would, that's what I kind of was trained. That's what I went to school for. That's mm-hmm. what i have done all my life. Um, you know, and, and, and <laughs> for big fortune, you know, 500 companies and otherwise like that's been my, my main work is storytelling and um, and finding engaging ways to to um, show things through video. Short form has become the default now just because people are you know are, ta- are uh, taking it in on their phones. Um, you know there's a, a great video years ago that I used to use all the time when I was working with clients to remind them you know to shoot things on their phone you know, horizontally not vertically um, and it's so funny because that video doesn't age well now because so much of it is vertical, you know, like um, I do projects and I, I have to plan for both. Like I have to shoot something in 4K or 8K and then cut it down so that I've got a shot that I can use vertically or I can do B shots that I can do vertically afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then it was called vertical vi- video syndrome. If you search for it on YouTube, it's pretty funny. That, um, is, that is great. Video syndrome. And they talk about like, Like it's going to ruin the world, you know, and they, these two puppets that are, they're freaking out over it and they're (laughs) showing like how, if you had a a TV, like you, you can, you can rotate a phone, but you can't rotate a television. So if you shoot something wrong, you know, like you, you you can't just push the TV and then watch it. Like, yeah, you know, and so, um, so long form and horizontal was what I was trained with and what I, what, where my passion was. Um, but you know, lately, like I've just been doing a lot of the vertical stuff mm-hmm. in order to, to, you know, kind of feed the audience that's on the vertical platforms. So.
0: It's so funny. You say that one of my good friends, uh, Alex army, ATC 22, he, uh, he's a more of a YouTube guy. So naturally yep. he films things, you know, horizontally and I film everything vertically because I'm mostly Instagram and, uh, we get in some really funny conversations. Sometimes we try to film for one another. He's like, you know, hold, it, hold it sideways, hold it sideways. And I'm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, it is, it's, it's like rival gangs. It's two totally I'll send him groups. the vertical
1: video syndrome thing later. So he can definitely he can send that it. at that, that's you incredible. next time. You... <laughs>
0: so, at what point did you kind of have this uh, kind of transition into going from just kind of collector to working with companies in the card space? I mean, it
1: happened naturally. Um So there I mean, it's just the overlap. is natural. Like as you're yeah. discussing stuff with folks, then you find out, oh wow, you're in this or you do that yeah, on the and side. You're at every show, and you know. Yep, and then you start to find out like about them personally, like oh, you work in this kind of zone, and I didn't know that you did that kind of thing or that you do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I had known a collector, uh, known a few collectors for for a while, but that were just kind of circling around this. But there was a technology called Knox that was a um uh a a collection management system basically Mm -hmm. um that could go in and intelligently give you values of things too but it was it was basically a more um mature version of what i had built myself 15 years ago and um and this guy scott who's the ceo uh he came to me and showed showed me the platform and he's like what do you think and um and we talked more and more we had known each other from shows we'd seen each other in the collecting circles and he said, you know, Jonathan, I I need somebody looking at all of this that has the collector mindset that is just shutting off all the other noise to what we're doing because there's a lot of tech involved, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I've been in tech and I've managed development teams and all that kind of stuff too. But putting that aside and just putting the collector cap mm-hmm. on and going, what does a collector want? What are some important things that we need to address here that maybe other platforms don't have? And so um, the as he was getting ready to launch this platform, ready to get, uh, he's like, could you be our chief collecting officer, <laughs> you know, the CCO, you know? And so, uh, I said, sure. So I came on as an, an advisor, uh, for equity. So uh, for those that aren't familiar and, and, you know, zones of investment and and, um, uh, and technology these days and, and, and that end and startups, um, rather than getting paid, you know, for your, your, Either hourly or as a salary, um, a lot of these startup companies, if if they feel like you've got a missing piece for them, but they don't have the capital, they have this other thing of value, which is equity. They have a magical piece thing of the called company. equity. Yeah, you know, so I come from the startup world too, so like, I you're completely talking my language. Yeah. Yeah. So they he offered me equity in the company in exchange for me, you know, uh, attending meetings, helping their development team, really help shape uh, you know, with that collector mindset. So I worked with them for the better part of a year. Um, and then we sold the company to Beckett, um, which was very fast for a startup yeah. to turn around. Um, I can't talk about what we got, but it was significant, um, more significant than I would have thought we would have gotten, uh, quite honestly. Um, but it was a great, it was a great product. You know, it was like, we were really on a great path. So Beckett's still supposed to come out with it. They haven't yet. It's gonna be called Beckett collect when it hits. Um, but um, they're integrating it with all of their stuff. But it was really the answer for them. And then one of the things that I advised on kind of early on was, because I had another friend who had sold a a company to Beckett years previous, is the fact that it's not about how many users we had in that company. It's not about how much revenue we were making already. It was about what could we do for this brand. Strategic value. Yeah. yeah, This legacy brand that we all loved, at least at one point, right? Everyone like that talks about cards at noon in the 90s love the Beckett dad, at some point.
0: Yeah. The Beckett so you, magazine, I think shaped our childhoods. I mean, that's
1: totally, yeah. totally. And you look at that and you go, you know, and I'm not saying speaking out of school, you'll look at that and you go, wow, their readership has gone down. You know, like yeah. obviously Um, things have changed. You know, we have comps now and we talk about that, but we have all these new fangled ways of yeah. determining value that isn't Beckett anymore. Well, what if Knox could inject some stuff into this to bring beckett back and that's where the value comes in for a company like that buying a company like ours was that notion of like well these guys have some paths for us to go back to glory in those those great days they still have plenty of cool stuff they still have plenty of subscribers you know, not and they have the all grading thing all of that yeah, kind of stuff they got not doubting any of it, yeah. but the notion of k- kind of bringing the collectors back in that they had lost over the course of years that weren't using the price guide anymore.
0: That's where Knox is really playing a role. So um, you you um, touch yeah, on so- something that really I am super passionate about is, um, and I think part of the reason I've been drawn more and more to the hobby is that the role of innovation and the amount of innovation we're seeing in the role of technology coming into the hobby with you know, pricing guides, inventory management, I mean, you name it. I'm curious if you see other like what other opportunities for kind of technology you see to kind of weave into the collector experience. I mean, are you sick of the hype beast breaker boys? Would you rather talk about sports cards with trusted, respectful sports card stores and dealers from
1: around the US? Well, loop is the answer. Loop is an online marketplace where you can buy sports cards no matter how you collect personal packs and boxes, dollar auctions, group breaks, singles and slab sales, and much more. All of it on one app called loop. Go try Loop on iPhone, Android, and the web. And the best part is, is you get 10 bucks if you use the stock and trade link to sign up. Find the link in the description of this episode that'll take you directly to the app. So check out Loop. We guarantee you won't be disappointed. I mean, I'm involved with a whole bunch right now. Like Mm. I I get pulled in every which way. Um, I'd see the most common thing I'm seeing lately are marketplaces. Yeah. That's the, I'd say that's the top, most recent growth zone um before that was alternative card spaces like nfts um that was you know a a spot that was kind of quick to 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 blow up and and burst a bit um i think there are going to be new ways where nfts are used much better than they were and they're going to make companies that are probably going to be very long lasting uh, when used appropriately but um I think those are like, it, it's anything that you can, I mean, technology is all about making things easy, right? So anything you can do yeah. to make someone's life easier, you know, uh, my friend who created the, the um, uh, center stage app, you know, like just great, just, I love the image recognition technology. The folks over um, at um, uh, uh, Card Ladder, you know, great, As well, they've got the image scanning on there too. Like I love that kind of stuff where you can just you can be at a show and it makes your life easier to to get a frame of reference, something something simple there. Um, there are a lot more that are coming down the pike. I, I think anything that helps collectors find collectors, anything that creates real socialization among us, not not social media, but like actually appreciating. You know, like you and I have an appreciation for the same stuff. That's great. We have commonality. We become friends over that. You know, yeah. like, and that's something that I love. Platforms that are are moving in that direction, um, but the thing is, a lot of these platforms, when they build, and a lot of startups, uh, when they start, they don't have a revenue plan. I'm not saying any of the ones that I just listed are, but like, right. just in general, a lot of folks that you know, kind of go out there and they're like, this would be great. We can do it better than the last guy. Okay. But then how do you make that sustainable? Because as you grow, you're going to have bigger server bills. You're going to have bigger bills for everything. And the thing you were giving away for free that was palatable before is not going to be anymore when, you know, you're having to mortgage your house a second time just to keep a, a, you know, a server running so that a million people can be using your service. You know, so sometimes finding those paths (laughs) is the biggest challenge you know, and those, those linkages between, but
0: yeah, I was just I'm curious because I feel like there was a big wave of pricing platforms as kind of the first thing. And it was kind of marketplaces. And I'm kind of curious where, where it kind of all goes. I actually think you touched on something important, inventory management. I think we, we all are kind of cart our own little individual card shops. And I think we kind of all need to like a run that way. And I don't mean don't, don't, um, don't lose sight on like the collectibility and being the collector, but I mean, you know, we do, know what you sitting, have. We're sitting with piles of cards around us and it's <laughs> like, there's got to be a better way to manage all of it. So love the setup that you get got at your place, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, it's quite nuts. It, it's quite nuts, <laughs> it's quite yeah. nuts indeed. So I, I guess kind of looking ahead, um, where do you see, I mean, what are you excited about kind of what's going on in the hobby right now? Um, or kind of how, where do you see it going over the next few years?
1: I like the fact that there's a lot more shows than ever before. As I mentioned earlier, like shows have been the lifeblood of my collecting for years. Um, I like that there are a lot more LCSs too. I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of them are going to fizzle for a a variety of reasons. And that part is, is sad. Um, You think there's over like oversaturation? Yeah, I think it's, I think the industry has shifted so much that I think there's two main factors there that I see that, uh, are contributing to my saying that. One, um, for folks that are in the know among um, stores, uh, you know whether it be allocations from the card companies or otherwise, um, margins have gotten a lot tighter on wax. And wax for a lot of stores was the predictable kind of income. You put out a certain I amount, mean, you put out $50,000 a month, $100,000 a month to buy the wax. You know you're going to get back 40, 50% on that, on top of it. And then, okay, you know what you're, you're earning for that month at a base. Then any of the singles you sell, other things, supplies, all that stuff beyond that is icing on the cake. Um, that's changing. The, the margins that, um, you know, for as much as people down Panini for a variety of reasons, the margins that Panini provided uh, stores from what I've seen in the stores that I've worked with or consulted mm-hmm. with much higher than what tops has been offering and so you see this eventuality of you know one to two years from now the majority of sports are going to be owned by tops either tops needs to change that attitude and offer better margins to the stores or the store's not going to make that much off of the wax and then they're going to have to make a lot more off of selling singles Mm -hmm. that's where the second half comes in when i was saying there's two pieces the singles market has become really, really tough because the most successful people selling singles now are repackers. They're folks that are coming in. They can take advantage of the obsession with comps. They can come in. They can buy things quickly. Right now, half a table, an entire table, um, for eighty or ninety percent comps. A dealer will gl- will gladly take it yeah, because big cash. Yep. And they're worried that they're going to have to sell the 80% comps anyway to somebody that's going to go for just a single card to their table. So why not get rid of all of them, you know, if if it's going to be that much easier? That repackers and going, putting into packs, selling that on one of the streaming platforms, making back roughly 100%, maybe a little bit more even Mm -hmm. in in some cases. Um, And then going next week and doing the cycle all over again so that some of the top buyers now of singles... Are folks that are just putting them into repacks, and but let's say that even fizzles out. Let's mm-hmm. say people are going on these streaming platforms, and eventually they decide, you know what? <laughs> I spent three thousand dollars on repacks in the last three months, and I only have a thousand dollars worth of cards to show for it. Maybe I'm unlucky. Maybe it's just very unlucky. Rumbles. I feel like with that. You no. Know, right? Yeah. You know, like I, you know, like. But if people start feeling more and more like I'm not getting, I'm not scoring the big thing out mm-hmm. of, I'm not getting the the chase or the chases out of the repack, they may start to walk away from that. In turn, the repacker buys less. Now the singles are available more on the market again. Yeah. Um, things shift all the time.
0: I, I was also going to say, I think a lot of what I, because I, you go to probably way more shows than I do, but I, I probably go to shows every two, three weeks. I'm, I'm. Uh-huh. It's abs- it's slowly becoming my life as, I've, as I kind of watch it. But the um, <laughs> I would say I feel like what I'm seeing a lot of right now is it not even just repackers, but these streamers who show up to a show, they maybe have several thousand dollars on them. They walk up to tables, do the buyout, as you mentioned. And it's more of just economies of scale, just buying bulk. And it seems like that's the consistent play that's working for people this day and age is buying bulk. Then whether you're selling on eBay, you're selling streaming, whatever it may be, is it, is it almost like a leveling the playing field? Is that, you think, part of what's going on too, between kind of LCSs and just I people think, working out of their house? Yeah. Well, right. Well, I mean,
1: that's that's a, a really big part is the overhead difference between an yeah. LCS and someone working out of their house. I mean, that's a huge... I mean, if you take just rent and and one employee and you you put that figure in and you you do the math on that look how quickly. far back you start yeah. like you're not even at the starting line now you know every month it's so uh, i think people people all the time have asked me you're going to open a store i have enough cards i can open two stores like i absolutely would i love to have a store someday maybe yeah but no it'll you never know. happen <laughs> it just <laughs> won't happen it's not realistic it's not going to happen there's no it just wouldn't uh, it's not sustainable for me yeah. uh, mainly because i'm like not into wax if i were into wax again and margins were better, then, then it's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. But for me, my store would be just singles probably, and it wouldn't be sustainable. Yeah, um, I think to your point about folks um, coming to the shows and buying uh, in bulk, mm-hmm. one, you've got inexperienced vendors. In some cases, some of them are young and inexperienced, some of them are just inexperienced, or some of them are oh. have been doing it for years but don't do math very well um to put it lightly um and when someone comes to the booth and puts a bunch of stuff together it takes people off guard and they end up selling for less than they would if they thought it through yeah um especially if there's a camera in their face at the same time and they that feel a like a good well, tactic just just throw cameras in people's faces and put the pressure on yeah it's you know it i, I really feel like it, it's it, that's i mean it works i mean yes. it really works it's- you see it out there um, I think the core, the other piece of this that's not talked about um is that a lot of those folks again, we'll name names on that, but a lot of the folks that you see on the streaming platforms and otherwise, their main money is not coming from selling the cards. So while what you see them do on video is buy and sell cards, yeah. the money that they're getting that they count on. Is coming from outside sponsorships that have to do with them
0: doing that. Yeah. But cards as content, cards as content versus exactly. cards as the economic engine. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: they don't have to worry about the same things you or I would have to worry about if that was our life. You know, like mm-hmm. if we were going out and we decided we're going to quit what I'm doing now and I'm just going to do cards. Um, now I got to worry about what I'm paying for those cards and what they're selling for and what my selling fees are and how all of that works. And I got to track all of that. I think half of these people don't track anything. Um, I think they've gotten lucky that, you know, that the 1099 K things haven't hit yet, um, with the requirements because like, there's no way, like I keep track of all the stuff I do for cost of goods sold and everything for the few things I sell in a year. I know what I paid and I know (laughs) what I sold it for. Um, because I'm buttoned up on that, but I think a lot of these people that have been that have joined this in the last two years that haven't had to worry about getting that form in the mail that says you know you made sixty or a hundred or one hundred fifty thousand dollars or something on one of these streaming platforms, and that same form gets sent to the government, and the government now is looking at your taxes, going, well, where's that one hundred fifty thousand dollars? But why isn't it on yours? You know, <laughs> like they just haven't experienced it yet you know, they may not even realize it's
0: coming. Well, I mean, it's it's funny you said one of the first things I did when I started like transacting is I started an LLC and I funded an account. And and for that specific reason, I was like, I just, I know I'm not doing a lot yet, but over the next 12, 24, 36 months, I was like, I feel like I just need to start getting that foundation in place. And I'd make that recommendation to most people if they're actually like wanting it to become kind of a side hustle or whatnot. They
1: absolutely should. And even if you're only selling $5,000 worth of cards in a year and it's a total side, side, side hustle. And, you know, and you, yeah. you don't want to spend the money on the LLC. You still need to keep track, Yeah, you know? And, and that's the thing, like take notes. I've seen, I've seen folks they just take a Sharpie and they write on the back of the top loader what they paid when they're at the show. And they, and then when they get back, they put it in Excel. That's fine. You know, you don't have to build a system like I have yeah. just throw it in an Excel sheet, use what you have, take a spiral notebook and write in that, like, Whatever it is, um, note it down, you know, like because at the point at which you sell that item, eventually it's gonna be looking at you of like what happened to the money, and was that all profit? And, you know, yeah. and it's not all profit. But if you can't show that it wasn't, then it's gonna be assumed it was, like you were given the card. So um, yeah, I think that's interesting too. Like with some of the smaller folks, you know, that are getting involved or doing as a side hustle or doing other homes, they don't think about those things as much. Um, you know, if they've dealt with eBay before, then they should have because, I mean, yeah. eBay sends out forms and stuff. But, but...
0: I, I still say card. I think accounting in the hobby is so difficult because, I, I mean, I think about it. I, I run into this, too. The one area I don't track as much, and I, I would love to say I am great at tracking it, but I'm just not, is if I go to, to a card show and I'm digging through someone's dollar bins and I spend 75 bucks on 200 cards, whatever it is those cards are going to go up on eBay and I'm not going to put those in my spreadsheet of like, Hey, I paid 50 cents for this one. And I sold it for three fifty. But so I think there's so many things that maybe could be better tracked in the hobby. There's just, it's difficult. It's very difficult.
1: I, I sticker every card I buy for a dollar two. I like literally, if they're not in my database, they have stickers on the back and then I have codes for every sticker. So I can go back later. And if I'm in the middle of selling something before it ships, I go back and I can, I can pop right into there, like that was a dollar, nice. that was two bucks. You know, yeah. you you were on top of it. You're it adds up. You know? I mean, yeah. some people go, it's not worth the time, but what they don't realize is, like on cost of goods sold, like that's literally the difference. Like that three dollars in your taxes could amount to a dollar forty. It could amount to a dollar twenty five that you're paying in extra taxes because you didn't substantiate the fact. you spent three dollars on those cards i mean it sounds stupid but that adds up really quick
0: yeah yeah especially i mean especially if you're buying and selling thousands of dollars each month and i I think it's i I, i'd love to see more i think one area we talk about all the time is i think there's a huge gap in the hobby of educational content i just don't think there's enough of it and i think there's a huge opportunity for that type of content totally i may get back
1: to that this year i've had it on my list that was what my my original youtube channel was was really more educational um and i'm you know i just because i like i didn't i felt like there was enough of this stuff where you know the we call it in 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 production a follow doc a follow-on documentary mm-hmm. where you have a camera crew following what goes on and documenting it that's what basically most of the show content that we see today you know in social media throw the dollars on the table next to the cards and yeah yeah. exactly you know i felt like there's enough of that and, and beside what am i what's someone learning from that honestly i mean what were they learning from
0: it that i got a good deal or that i didn't get a good deal or it that one guy it like... sets unrealistic expectations in yeah the too. it's like oh everyone carries ten thousand dollars in their pockets and all your cards have to be super nice like yeah yeah and i saw a kid the other day
1: who went up to a dealer did this whole deal like pushing down, pushing down, pushing down. He wanted 150. The kid was like, I'll give you 50. And he's like, what? (laughs) He's like, no, you're like the guy came down to 90 or 95. And the kid's like, kids like, all right, 90, let's shake. And he like brings his hand out. And the guy's like, no, no, I said 95. He's like 90, let's shake. And I'm like, he's like, where did this kid get this behavior from? (laughs) Yeah. Like, he's like, is this something you watched online? Like, like what is this? Like,
0: Ah, uh, yeah. I, no, I, I think... have to admit, the thing that cracks me up the most is people are always like, you know, don't take advantage of the kids in the hobby. And I'm the one sitting here like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're the ones usually trying to take advantage of me. <laughs> it's not ironic now. It is yeah, crazy. Like, whenever They're... a kid walks up to me, I'm like, oh God, like, where's my money? Like, make sure like, just because like, they are so <laughs> savvy. Their their brains work so much quicker. You know. I think they watch a lot of that content they and do. they just, they present
1: themselves in that way. There was a kid who uh, came to the national went up to one of my friends booths and my friend easily had a million dollars in his booth i mean it was it was yeah. a, a insane stuff this kid comes up with this case and he's like are you buying and he said yeah absolutely let me take i could take a look at what you have it's like and the, the kid comes over he's about to open the case he goes and the kid's like 11 10 or 11 and he's like yeah but just before i open the case like are you sure you could afford big cards and the guy's like, you know what? Second thought,
0: you're right. No. I think I'll pass. <laughs> what are you
1: talking? Why?
0: <laughs> can you afford big cards? <laughs> can you afford
1: big cards? The biggest a guys national. You can
0: probably the afford it.
1: I mean, it's just, but like, I, that attitude has to come from somewhere. And maybe mm-hmm. it's lack of i don't know uh, um you know i say this now my my daughter likes watching youtube kids hopefully she doesn't you know stumble on some crazy card content later and then end up i'm gonna be at a show and watch she's in the corner doing a deal over there. That handshake um, move.
0: But... i think the handshake move there's there's potential there
1: <laughs> yes indeed oh but it's just it's it is it's it's remarkable um you know i think back because like look i was a kid in this hobby way back mm-hmm. i went to shows i got screwed over at shows in the past, And that's one of the reasons like I'm very big about the shows that I do the small shows up here that don't have a lot of the kids walking around with the expensive uh, cases but um, but are like these kids are coming up like I spend the time to make sure they understand the value of things understand that comps aren't the only value that that's just one space and that they should really look at what they have and understand that a lot of these cards are pretty limited, and a lot of these cards when are being based values are being based on one sale. You have a card numbered out of 25. The first sale ends up being the only sale in terms of comps, you know, on something like yeah. that, even if it's new. And so it could be a fluke. And I say more often than not, like if I'm set up at a show, kid comes to my table and he says, well, how much, how much would you pay me for it? How much would you give me for it? More often than not, I'm like, I really think you should hold on to it. <laughs> like I ask him, do you like the player? What do you like about the card? What mm-hmm. don't you like about the card? And if they don't have anything they don't like about the card, I often just tell them, why don't you hold on to it? You know, like this is, did you pull that? Yeah. You know, you may be upset two, three months from now when you don't have that card anymore. Experience that you get. Like, this is my whole understanding of markets. Like... I'm not a big fan of the stock market or any of that kind of stuff, but this this was one of those things that when I was a kid, like this is how I understood how finances worked, um, and how markets were navigated. So I think it's great that kids get involved, but um, they shouldn't feel the pressure to be churning at the level of like a repacker is <laughs> these days. You know,
0: week in week out, I need to have
1: new cards, yeah. I need to have new inventory. You're a kid; just, just you can enjoy it's the cards to- you own.
0: We were talking to somebody about this recently. I can't remember it was and talking about kind of general trends in the hobby. And the question came up, are most kids, are they actually collectors or are they more into the kind of the flipping culture in the perception that I think a lot of people have is most of the kids they encounter are more in that flipping culture. And I have yeah, seen it's that all too. just anecdotal, but I've seen that too, at mm-hmm. least at the shows, but I mean, at the yeah. shows, I guess you have a concentrate, but at the
1: shows, that's where I used to go to collect. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe more people that are collecting or sitting at home, just buying on eBay and keeping it in their collections and not going
0: out with it. I don't know. I think a lot of people. So I got back to the hobby a few years ago. I'm I'm one of the people that kind of got away and then came back. But I'd say, you know, for a long time, the hobby to me was me by myself at home on my computer or on social media. And I just started going to shows about a year ago. And now I swear I'm at them all the time now. But it's one of the things that I think there's still so many people that enjoy the hobby by themselves and it's, you know, it's kind of detached from a lot of the hustle and bustle that we're used to. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, it's probably, and that's probably where the kids that are collecting are as opposed to the shows. Yeah, it's um, a
0: different world, different world, yeah. but John, this, this has been awesome. Um, We could probably go on for another three hours, but we probably for everyone's time need to need to stop, but. Where can a person go just to kind of, you know, stay in touch or follow your journey? I, I think a lot of people are yeah. probably already following you, but for those that don't know you already.
1: Sure. Yeah. On uh, Instagram, it's basketball card guy. And then I have a website. Very, very hard to remember. Basketballcardguy.com. Um, and so uh, the website has a bunch of my personal collection up so you can see some of the cards there. I do have a few cards that I sell there, too. Like I get to the point. I got six Damian Lillard autographs. I can let one go, you know, like I constantly trying to figure out. I peruse out, like, it what occasionally. To...
0: I peruse yeah.
1: the, the website. Nice. Yeah. So there's stuff there that people can pick up. Um, there's more about me there and stuff like that. You can kind of learn about the history, some of the companies I've worked with and stuff like that as well as uh, all on the website. And it's easy to you can DM me on Instagram. You can reach out via email um, on the website, basketballcarguy.com. And yeah, those are the two
0: easiest ways. That's awesome. Well, I really, really appreciate you, John. Look forward to hopefully seeing My you at the show for the next you so month much. or so. Absolutely, it's great. Awesome. We well, hope you have a good one. I'll talk to you soon. You too, Mac. I'll see you, man. All right. See ya.